Ted Baker, Harley Davidson, Forever 21, Aviation, Gin, and Robin Hood on this week's episode. Welcome to this week's episode of News Entrepreneurs Experience. Thanks for tuning in. And thanks to everyone who is passing notes along to me with some of these blog posts that I'm posting throughout the week. And then when I bring them all together on the weekly podcast episode, it's nice to know that some of you are getting something out of it. That's great. I put this podcast together uh, because I know that being an entrepreneur can be tough, can be hard to find sort of real, practical advice that you can do something with. And so each day I try to find a business headline or a news headline that I think could uh, relate to you, the listener, running a business. You might not be running a public company or a large enough business that's getting uh, media attention, but uh, that's just a function of zeros behind the dollar sign. And so I take some of these articles and I try to distill them down into little nuggets of knowledge and information that hopefully you and your business can benefit from. And the reason it's news entrepreneurs experience is because I try to make sure that in each of these uh, articles and blog posts that I make, that there's something there for you to relate to. And so let's get started. I've got five headlines I'm going to zip through that hopefully you get some value out of. And I would encourage you, if this is your first time listening to the podcast, uh, thanks very much for tuning in. Make sure to rate it or share it, get, get it in front of another entrepreneur that could benefit from listening to what it is that I have to say. And what makes me an expert? Nothing. Except I got the microphone and I got the podcast and you're listening to it. So that means I get to share with you what I think because maybe you find some value in it. Okay, well, let's get started with uh, the first post that I had made over the past week here, which was about uh, Ted uh, Baker. And uh, it was kind of like a bummer of, a, of an article to kick off the week with, um, only because I can imagine as an entrepreneur, uh, having been an entrepreneur that is consistently failing quarter after quarter, that it's hard to kind of muster energy to keep going. And so anyway, Ted Baker, kind of like a luxury high-end brand, um, had issued, they're a publicly traded company, so they had issued a warning uh, four quarters in a row that their profits would be down. And then to add insult to injury, the expected sales that they were going to get over the month of November with Black Friday and Cyber Monday and yada yada never happened. And so the stock had fallen about 36% to a 16-year low. And both the chairman and CEO of Ted Baker had stepped down. And so what it immediately got me thinking about in terms of uh, being an entrepreneur running a business is that life, of course, goes really fast when you're running a business. And before you know it, days turn into weeks and week turns into months. And then all of a sudden, you end up hitting some serious problems that have been uh, happening in the background, but maybe you're not aware of them. And so all of a sudden, you get this, this moment of realization that things are not as they should be. And then you've got really difficult decisions to make as an entrepreneur. Unlike Ted Baker, where the chairman and CEO simply get to fire them and the board of directors um, puts together um, 
a list of new CEOs that could run the company. We as entrepreneurs don't have that luxury because we are the CEO, chairman, chief bottle washer, etc. And so when we when we have watched life pass us by and we've seen our business not do what it needs to do, it can be pretty pretty difficult uh, on our ego and our pride. Certainly if you're an entrepreneur that's never failed before, then of course you think that you're invisible, invincible rather, and your ego and pride um you know, they kind of keep you in a position of not making tough decisions because you think you can just sort of get through it. Now, if you have failed, as I have, as many of you listening to this have, then you realize that your ego and pride don't really don't really add a lot of support to your bottom line. In fact, the quicker you can wrestle your ego and pride to the ground, the faster that you can get on with the um, the business at hand. And so I was encouraging entrepreneurs, if you're listening to this and you've got some tough decisions to make, you know, Ted Baker waited a whole year quarter after quarter after quarter after quarter missing the mark on profit, uh, that their stock price took a dive, their, they replaced out their CEO and chairman. But just because that happened at a big company like Ted Baker doesn't mean that you are immune from suffering from the same thing. If you're watching your business atrophy over time, don't let your ego and pride get in the way of you simply making a smart decision. Remember, this is your business Presumably, you've got a lot of money tied up in your business. If not a lot of money, then a lot of time tied up, and time is money. And so because this is a major investment for you, don't let your ego uh, get in the way. If you've got tough decisions to make, just make them. Um, If your business is suffering, your staff know it, your vendors know it, your customers probably know it. And so if your pride and ego are kind of keeping you Uh, back or holding you back from making a good decision, remember that you're not fooling anybody. And the best time to make a difficult decision is uh, right now, because the sooner you make that tough decision, the easier it is to get going. I don't know. I I keep saying pride and ego, but I think that, I think that there's like this fine line that, that uh, entrepreneurs try to walk every day, which is being optimistic enough to keep going, but being pessimistic enough to watch for the things that can that can uh, uh, push them offside. And so, even though in the example of you know Ted Baker, they got four missed quarters of profit, and they have to tell the marketplace that basically they suck, and their stock price takes a hit. In your business, you don't have to wait that long uh, because presumably you've you've got the ability to influence that outcome much much sooner, and probably you're not running an organization that is that large and that bureaucratic. So make the tough decisions. Make the tough decisions. Don't don't delay. Because the sooner you make the tough decision, the sooner that you can get on with what it is that you're trying to do inside of of, of your business. Um. The next uh, blog post I had made was surrounding Harley Davidson and this idea that that uh, well first of all Harley Davidson the, the article is about how they've kind of tapped the US market or you know they're having a hard time in the US finding customers uh, they've got a great brand great margins etc cetera, etc cetera, but they do have to grow as a company because if you're not growing you're atrophying and shrinking and so it really is sort of binary and they, anyway they've decided that they're going to you know uh, uh, quite some time ago I think a year and a half ago they decide they're going to go out to uh, India. So they started investing in people in a dealer network. And, you know, there's lots of competitors in these other marketplaces. And so they have to figure out how they're going to wrestle with that. You know, does their brand equity give them the opportunity to continue to earn, you know, disproportionate margins that are higher than their competitors? I guess, I guess time will tell. 
But how I thought this related to specific, specifically to entrepreneurs is that it's this idea that nothing stays, uh, nothing stays the same in business whatsoever. There are changes in technology. There are changes, changes in customer behaviors. There are cultural changes that are going on all of the time. But I don't think that many entrepreneurs take the time to look at them. And certainly no entrepreneur is immune from competition and the changes in the marketplace. And so once you've, as an entrepreneur, I think once you've gotten over, you know, starting and running a business and you've gotten to a level of stability, I think it's difficult for many entrepreneurs to intentionally look around and say, what changes could force our business off track? Um, because I guess the, the I guess why would you right if you if you if you think life is going pretty good and it has been going fairly well for you for a period of time it might not be rational to say that this is going to end except that every business in history that has made it to any kind of of um, level of significance or revenue or profitability uh, will tell you that. They did need to be aware. They did need to be paying attention to the marketplace. And if they themselves weren't the ones causing the changes, um, then they needed to be in a position to recognize the changes when they came along so that they could do something with it. And where that ties into Harley-Davidson is they realize that within the U.S., they really can't continue to do much more. They're going to release their electrical motorcycle, but that's going to take some time. And so with their existing products and their services and their brands, they decided to go into a new marketplace. And so kind of my point to entrepreneurs was that there's never a better time than right now to work, to begin working on a strategy that addresses the market changes that you think your business is going to face in the future, or even if it's facing um, challenges right now. And so if you're listening to this and you're thinking, but Dylan, I kind of run a pretty good business and not, you know, we, we're profitable. You know, we're not killing it. We're not growing exponentially, but we're kind of doing okay. So how do we, how do, how do I as an entrepreneur start thinking through this? And I kind of posed the following questions and I had said, you know, what changes in technology could your business face? You know, are customers going to stop calling you and emailing you? Are they going to are they going to be using technology to um, interact with businesses like yours or to access products and services like yours in different ways? Are your are the what behaviors could change in customers? Are they going to look to conserve their time and they're going to want to pay for products and services within your marketplace that save them time and and then lastly, to maybe consider the trends in the marketplace that your business could benefit from. So those trends could be either changes in behaviors from customers, it could be changes in technology, or it could just be fundamental changes in the products and services that your business offers because they're getting better or they're getting more efficient. But the point is, you should have a strategy and you should be trying to work through the answer uh, to that question all the time. What changes in the market could affect our business and and what can we be doing about it today? And as you do that, if you make it a habit to ask yourself that question either once a month, once a quarter, a couple times a year, and dedicate some real effort to putting some thought um, um, and planning into an answer, you might be surprised to discover that you can uh, get some new opportunities that will add some profit to your bottom line. And I don't think that many entrepreneurs take the time to do that. I think most entrepreneurs are are happy once their business reaches a level of stability. And so, um, you know, in the in the blog post, I just mentioned that healthy paranoia 
is better than unhealthy fear that comes from an atrophying business that failed to use their good times to develop strategies to ensure they would last. The idea being that the time to be thinking about your failure is when times are at when times in your business are really, really good. Because the what's that? I'm just trying to think of how that saying goes. The closer, the further away you are from the last bottom that your business had, the closer you are to the next one. And so the idea being that every business goes up and down. There's no such thing as a business that's just straight up, um, or rarely rather. I shouldn't I shouldn't I shouldn't be so hardlined about that. But most small and medium-sized businesses are either seasonal, up and down, or just years, depending on what's happening in the market, they go up and down. And so when your your business is doing really well, that's the time to begin preparing for whatever could happen. And if you do your planning right, maybe your downs aren't quite as far down as they might have been had you not used that time well. So a little something there to learn from. From Harley Davidson. Um, and then uh, a blog post I had made um, about Forever 21. This was a, a blog post that um, I just, I just, it, it was, it's just so classic of what happens to first time entrepreneurs. And the idea that if you've never, if you've never failed before as an entrepreneur, you've never made some real monumental uh, mistakes, then it's quite easy to believe that when your business is doing well, or if your business is doing well, that you've got the magic touch. That um, when everything seems to be going really right, and you can't, you know, there's no reason for you to believe that things are going to go wrong, that that's oftentimes when an entrepreneur will make the largest mistakes. And, you know, there's only, well, for a first-time entrepreneur, your business is successful because either you've caught the market at the right time, and so you were able to, you know, your business just, and, and this was the case for me, um, I thought I was running a really great business. It turns out that our business was probably okay, but really it was just the general marketplace. The marketplace was just on a tear, and we happened to be riding it when, you know, riding that that wave when it was uh, taking off. And so as an entrepreneur, I thought I was awesome and had kind of a special touch. And I think most first-time entrepreneurs do that. But, you know, things like cash in the bank and customers calling and all that sort of stuff, that's all very, very positive. But if an entrepreneur doesn't have a clear understanding of their business model when things are doing really, really well, then when things don't go well, they can go really, really bad. And the entrepreneur oftentimes can't catch their footing as the business begins to fail because they didn't really understand their business in the first place. They may have understood how to sell. They may have understood how to put, um, you know, what they thought was profit in the bank, but they had no sense of cost. They had no sense of what it costs to acquire a customer. They had no sense of what it takes to keep a customer and spend less money on the next sale than you did on the first sale. And so all of a sudden, you grow, 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 because as an entrepreneur, you're reading all the signs and you're thinking, wow, this is amazing. We need to keep going. This is great. And then you hit the wall. Well, that's what happened with Forever 21. Just a very, very sad story from from what I can tell and from what I've been following. Um, there are, of course, some Forever 21 locations in the city I live in, and uh, they all have the big, you know, closing out sales and so forth. But basically, the long and the short of it was there were two co-founders that started the business, and it took off. And it was a it was a boutique business to begin with, and it just grew into this behemoth. In fact, it grew all the way up to generating over four bill billion it's billion with a b four billion dollars worth of revenue 
And where they decided to double down, again, not having done this before, is when the Great Recession found its way through the marketplace, they ended up uh, taking on a tremendous amount of real estate, which at the time they thought was underpriced. And just as a quick side note, you know, when the market falls and people say that they're buying underpriced real estate, you know, the reality is that that's actually probably the price. When the market was hot, it just meant that the real estate was overpriced. But nonetheless, (laughs) the founders of Forever 21, what they had done is they decided to expand internationally, but they hadn't addressed, maybe they didn't understand the fundamental business uh, that they were in. And, you know, as they grew, things like not understanding the markets that they were in, the local markets that they were in caused them problems. You know, you don't sell winter coats in Florida, as an example. That's a, a, a cheap example, but that's an example of not understanding the local market that your locations might be in. Not being able to keep up with what everyone else was doing online with an online shopping experience. But then the real killer in their business, particularly, was managing inventory. In any business that buys and sells a product that you have to store, inventory is, if not managed properly, is the boat anchor that ends up dragging you underneath the waterline. And inventory is is a you know, is a tricky thing to do in the best of times, let alone in the worst of times. But Forever 21 basically hit every single landmine that they could uh, associated with a company that was growing. And as a result, they filed Chapter 11, which means that they are insolvent. They're not able to meet their their commitments to their creditors. And so they'll end up going through a restructuring. But it was it's just such a, um, a classic example of an entrepreneur that misunderstands their business ends up growing it, it ends up failing because they didn't understand their business. And so as an entrepreneur, you don't have to be a financial genius. You don't need to be the smartest person in the world, but you do have to understand how your business works. Fundamentally, what are people paying you for? What solution uh, are you providing to customers through the products or service that your businesses offer? And how do you take that profit and run a business from it? And running a growing business, you know, you don't want to miss the window of opportunity because you think it might pass you by. But if you grow without knowing what business you're in and really understanding your business model, then it's only a matter of time until, you know, once you've set those wheels in motion that you're going to be able to stop uh, stop all of that momentum and that activity. So make sure you know your business. Make sure you know your business model and what needs to be managed to sustain your success you know, Forever 21, massive company, $4 billion in revenue, and yet it didn't matter. They had access to all the smartest people in the world, and they still ended up filing Chapter 11 bankruptcy. And so that just goes to show you that running a business is not the easiest thing in the world, and you got to be on guard all the time. But as an entrepreneur, fundamentally understand what your customers are paying for. What problem does your business solve for them? And if you had to grow, how do you do that properly? So, Again, that's kind of a downer, bankruptcy, ugh. but I just thought that the numbers were so huge, but the lesson was so simple that it equally applied to everyone. You know, a growing business is a lot of fun, but if you don't know why it's growing and you don't know what business you're in, then it doesn't, it means you're not going to be able to manage your growth properly, which means it's only a matter of time until you crash and you burn, but you don't have to. Okay, moving right along to something a little bit more uh, light-hearted, and I just couldn't resist. I couldn't resist because I'd been following. Um, I'm on Twitter all the time. Twitter is actually my my guilty pleasure. I, I 
most times go to Twitter for comic relief because I cannot believe how hilarious some people are and how um, how they are unencumbered in a public setting. They just feel like on Twitter they can, <laughs> behind a screen, they can be um, you know, someone that they might not be in front of you. But anyway, I go to Twitter for comic relief. But then sometimes, you know, the politics and some of the news gets pretty depressing. But the story of uh, Peloton who that ran a commercial, a YouTube commercial, and normally I wouldn't, I don't think most people would pay attention to this, but it just got such a, a it just got such terrible feedback that you can't, it's kind of like watching a car wreck. Um, you know, you feel bad for the people involved, of course, you hope everyone's okay, but you can't help watching as your car drives past a car wreck. And so this Peloton commercial ran with this actress named Monica Ruiz, who, I mean, I won't go into all the criticism, get on Twitter, jump online. It's easy enough to find out what people were saying about her. Um, but what's interesting is that for all of that publicity, you know, the, there's that old saying that there's no such thing as bad publicity. If people are hearing about your company or about you, that's a good thing. And so so Peloton ran this commercial, Monica Ruiz, you know, got this terrible, you know, all this criticism and this negative feedback. But it was, I mean, it was running massive, you know, for, for days in the headlines. It was just this massive headline that kept playing over and over again. And then Aviation Gin, which I think is either owned or or Ryan Reynolds, the actor, has has an interest in it, fellow Canadian, I believe, which is great. Um, but him and his team just saw an opportunity to capitalize on all of the attention that this actress uh, was receiving, and they decided to put her in a commercial. Now, that in and of itself is kind of genius, but what was even better, I think, and I'm not a marketing guy, I'm not a sales guy, those are probably the two things that I'm weakest at, but even I could recognize the genius of this. They created a, a commercial for their gin, their alcoholic beverage, and it and they created <laughs> this scene in this commercial where, um, I won't ruin it for you, you should go and see it, but make sure you see the Peloton commercial first. Um, but they created this commercial, basically very specific, uh, a specific way to leverage the attention that Monica Ruiz was getting. And it, it was just so, so very, very perfect. And so kind of my... What I was trying to do with with taking that as an example for for you, the entrepreneur who might be listening right now, is that sometimes uh, you got to have well thought out plans. There's no question, but you also need to be paying attention to these little windows of opportunity that open, and sometimes they open only for a moment. But then you, if you're if you're sharp enough to realize what's going on, you can capitalize on it and get some real le- leverage, and ultimately your business can get a little bump when you least expect it. And so. Uh, this other company ran a commercial, had this actress in it. The commercial was a total train wreck, except it was receiving a ton of publicity. And so this other company, Aviation Gin, decided to grab that actress, put her in a commercial, custom design the commercial around her and the narrative uh, that was following her around in the media. And boom, they created an instant marketing moment. And it was great. And so I was just challenging entrepreneurs uh, in my blog post to say what narrative is happening in the marketplace Uh, that your business could be benefiting from. And maybe it's not something as witty or as controversial as a commercial from one of your competitors, but inevitably there are narratives in the marketplace playing into your business. And you you might not be paying attention to them or you might not be listening to them, but there are news headlines, there are news stories, there is commentary happening in the marketplace that your customers are listening to. And if you're paying attention, there might be a way for you to benefit from getting a little bit of traction off of leveraging it. 
and finding a way to spin that narrative into something that your business can uh, can take advantage of. And this is a lesson that I took a lot from, again, because self-admittedly, I am not a strong uh, marketer. Um, I'm not um, uh, I'm not a salesperson uh, by by my own definition. Um, so when I saw this, I just I was slightly envious because I wish I could pull the trigger that fast on I on on things happening out in the world like that. And I don't know. I don't think you could do that every day. But if you did it a couple times a year, I think it could add to your your marketing and sales strategy if you could find a way to to leverage the narrative in the marketplace and tweak it for your business and um, and I think it creates customer engagement. I think it adds to your brand. I think there's a whole bunch of benefits in doing it. It's just, it's really hard uh, to do. So if you have an opportunity to act, act now because you don't know what could happen. And then uh, the last uh, headline I'm going to talk a little bit about is one that I had been following uh, for years um, when this company uh, became public. My my background is in personal finance uh, when I first started out in the in the world. I had um, finished off my certified financial planner designation and um, had learned all about insurance and investments and mutual funds and some of the some of the the folks that I think very highly of in the marketplace include folks like um, uh, the founder of, of Vanguard, the founder of Schwab, founder of Schwab rather, and these these pioneers that basically took uh, something very esoteric and uh, which you know investments and made it easy for the everyday person to take advantage of and so Robinhood which is an online stock brokerage trading um, business they launched uh, some time ago and they went the route of going to venture capitalists um, I feel like this could be like a whole episode on its own, but you know, being funded by venture capitalists really puts your business in a different position than just letting your business grow organically because venture capitalists get paid to make bets and those bets have to pay off. And so if your business, uh, if you get funding from a venture capitalist, there's just an entirely different business that you need to build in order to satisfy those investors. But nonetheless, Robinhood decided, hey, there's these big, large, traditional incumbents in the marketplace that aren't doing a whole heck of a lot to innovate for the everyday investor who just wants to buy and sell stocks. So you know what we're going to do? We can create a company. We're going we're gonna to focus highly on technology, keep our overhead low in terms of people, and we are going to come into the marketplace with, with a ton of cash because uh, venture capitalists are going are gonna to put a lot of money into us, and we're going to look to just simply take market share from these other large online stock brokerage companies. And our trick is we're going to go to the market, or our hack, I shouldn't say it was a trick. Our hack is we're going to go to the marketplace and we are going to be the first company to do commission-free trading. And so, boom, they come to the marketplace, they grab a bunch of market share, tons of headlines, they were in the media. It looked like they were, you know, they had just invented, you know, ice cream or, or something that people were just gobbling up by the spoonfuls. And then, you know, these large, traditional, slow-moving companies ended up following suit. And so if you've listened to these, uh, to my podcast for a little while, you'll know that um, um, uh, Schwab bought uh, TD Ameritrade and decided to offer its own commission-free trading program. And so all of a sudden, the one thing that Robinhood had working for them um, now became something that was no big deal. It wasn't enough of a differentiator anymore. So it worked for a little while. It was a good hack while, while it worked. And it did give them a position in the marketplace and it allowed them to grab 
assets from customers and manage them and make money and so forth. But then their competitors decided to get a leg up on them and offer what is called fractional stock purchases. So for example, if you wanted to buy a share of Berkshire Hathaway, um, you know, it can cost you upwards of $10,000. I don't know Berkshire's stock price today. Um, but few investors, few everyday investors can write a check for 10 grand to buy one stock in a company. And so fractional stock purchases simply allows you to make you know, you and a bunch of other people, uh, the company will break up the 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 price of, or the cost of a stock or a stock purchase and divide it amongst many, many small investors so that everyone can own a, sm- a small piece of a big share, a big stock rather. And so the competitors to Robinhood decided to do this. So they offered commission-free trading. Then they, there was some consolidation between the two, one, two of the largest players, that was Schwab and TD Ameritrade. And then, and then they decided, we're going to come out with this fractional stock purchase program, which Robinhood didn't adopt. In fact, they only announced last week that they were doing it. So they're way behind the times in terms of being able to keep up with what the market was doing. So what I had tried to convey to an entrepreneur that might have read through my blog post was that if you can be first place in the market, then that means you're going to be able to generate a higher margin than your competitors, simply because your competitors are going to have to spend more money than you do to get the cost of the same customer. Um, but if if the market is efficient, roughly everyone's earning the same margin. And so because you're first place, you're first choice for customers, you don't have to pay as much to get them, which means your margin's higher. So having said that, Being first place means that you have to continue to innovate and you have to continue to kind of um, anticipate what the changes, as I've said earlier in this episode, what the changes in the market are going to do to your business and then work to get ahead of them. And so if your company is not first place in a market or a market niche, if if the market just is simply too big, um, then find a market, uh, find a niche within your market to to be the first place Uh, company in. And if you can't do that, then you're never going to be as profitable or as valuable as everyone else that does the same thing you're doing in the marketplace. And so what might work might what might have worked for you for a period of time may not continue to work for you because as your competitors get a sense of what it is you're doing, not only will they copy it, and that's just competition, but they will then look to one-up your business and come up with something else. And so I feel kind of sad for Robinhood because I think when I when I first saw that they had launched, there was a lot of hype and anticipation on what they were doing. It looked like they were going to kind of usher in this new era of, of stock trading for, you know, millennials and younger individuals that like maybe working on their phone or trading on their phone. And then all of a sudden, these larger traditional companies that basically own the marketplace decided that they would copy that hack of commission-free trading and then one-up Robinhood by offering these fractional stock purchases that Robinhood was just simply too slow to adopt. And now they have, and that's great, but now they're racing to keep up with their competitors. So in your business, are you racing to keep up with your competition or are you Are you capitalizing on opportunities that your competition is overlooking or ignoring? And your ability to do one or the other will certainly help you either grow your business, turn it around, you know, and ultimately help you have a healthier bottom line, or it'll ensure that you just never get on top of the waterline and you just keep struggling. So great thing about business is that nothing stays the same. And this example in Robinhood, I think, is, again, just a classic example 
doesn't matter if you're a public company funded by really smart VCs, you can't avoid the market dynamics and some of the fundamental stuff that happens in a, in a free market economy. And so that's meant to encourage you, not to discourage you, but to encourage you if you're a, a small business, a small medium-sized business owner that, you know, there's nothing special about these larger companies, just add zeros behind the dollar sign, everybody running a business, a CEO, all the way down to an entrepreneur running um, a small business, everybody faces the same challenges and how you deal with them is, um, you know, is reflective of your style and how much you understand. And so hopefully in today's episode, um, you've heard how other entrepreneurs have or have not dealt with the problems that they're, they're facing. And it's given you some things to think about, uh, in your own business. So hey, thanks for tuning in. I trust that this was time well spent. Uh, if you did get some value out of it, feel free to rate it or share it because when you do that, it finds its way into the ear pods or into the ears of other entrepreneurs. And if you need help fixing, funding, or growing your business, that I'd encourage you to visit bridgecap.ca or reach out to me on LinkedIn or find a way to connect with me because I certainly would welcome the opportunity to help. And I sure hope that you download next week's episode.